0: What a privilege it is to be here this morning with you. Um, um, we, I don't, we don't take it lightly, and just
1: thank you so much for having us. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. She was not going to preach to you, man. I, I said to her, I'm the preacher today, so <laughs> So we discipline like that. But amen. Thank you so much, Bev and Zoe, for having me. Uh, such a privilege to be with you. Uh, we connected on social media and since then we've kind of touched base here and there but i'm excited to be with you uh, zoe we also have to realize we're getting older we can't be on jumping castles anymore <laughs> and uh, i mean we, we just have to accept it now you know I was playing soccer with tristan the other day and i fell there on my ankle i realized okay you need to stop doing this but man what a beautiful couple what a beautiful ministry can we just appreciate them for what they're doing out here <laughs> And then, of course, to be with all of you, thank you so much for coming out this morning. Uh, seeing so many familiar faces as well. Uh, thank you so much for coming And I can't acknowledge all of you one by one, but we'll probably touch base before I go. As Pastor highlighted earlier, I have to leave because we're doing a wedding later today. So I'm not rude. I got permission from the man of God. So if I leave, don't now go on Facebook. Pastors are arrogant and pastor. Because I know church people can just be dramatic, you know? Lawsie drama, okay? man. You know, church people are just dramatic, so I'm telling you now why I'm leaving early, okay? So that's the reason why I have to leave early, because we're doing a wedding later. Of course, I'm also joined by my dear brother, Israel Piri. You know, I feel like John the Baptist coming after me is one greater, amen? So so put your hands together for Pastor Piri, come on. And then, of course, our people are with us, LJ and Nikki. I'm going to get into the Word this morning and uh, share a few thoughts with you. I I genuinely believe that when people come to a morning session like this, you tend to attract more leaders than just church members. And so we want to have a bit of a matured conversation with you this morning and just touch on a few things. And because it's a morning session, we probably take some questions after the presentation, one or two, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Amen? So let's get into the Word this morning. I want to speak on something that, that I believe is so important and this is generally the area of tension as far as leadership is concerned uh, I call it a leadership conundrum the tension between compassion and conviction the tension between passion, uh, compassion and conviction And I want to ch- share a few thoughts with you on that I'm not going to give you an opening scripture but we'll reference some verses as we go along in this conversation now let me start off by saying to you I I genuinely believe that uh, leadership in the Christian space is completely different from leadership in any other sector. Uh, we have this misconstrued notion that it's the same. It's not the same. A pastor is not a CEO. And you've heard me say this before and I'll say it again. A CEO can fire you. A pastor can't fire you. A CEO can dismiss you and there'll be no stories that follow. Uh, a pastor does that. You probably go onto to Facebook and write a few things about us and... You diss us a little bit, and you let us know where to get off. Amen? So church leadership and any other area of leadership is not the same. And I get extremely frustrated when we try to place church leaders in the same category as any other leadership uh, category that exists out there. Uh, Because the other thing that we have to understand is that building a church, you require the faith of the people, the belief of the people, the convictions of the people, and if the people don't give, you go nowhere. In a business, everything is driven by profit. You sell your product, you make the money, finish and claw. End of the story. So leadership in church is quite different from leadership in any other space. Uh, And generally, as leaders, we are judged on compassion and conviction. And when I say compassion and conviction, what I'm trying to say to you is if you have strong convictions, people feel you lack compassion. And if you are very compassionate, but don't have strong convictions, people think you have no backbone. And so there's generally a tension that exists for us as leaders between compassion and conviction. Because if I have strong convictions and I tell you this is the right part, we're going this direction. You walk away from there understanding my beliefs, but feeling I'm heartless. On the other hand, if I compromise my convictions and I show you more compassion than truth, people walk away from there saying the man of God has no backbone. So there is generally a tension for spiritual leaders in the area called compassion and conviction. Compassion can be defined as the sympathy and the empathy and the heartfelt feelings and the concerns we have towards people when we have to address them, we have to correct them, we have to help them, we have to lead them. Convictions on the other hand can be defined as the firmly held beliefs that underwrites God's judgment on any particular matter. And so, as a leader, we have to really have the dual understanding of both. But there's always a tension that exists between the two. A case in point is John chapter 8, where a lady is brought to Jesus, caught in the act of adultery. And the Pharisees that brings the lady to Jesus are testing his convictions. was a straight question to him. They say, listen, man, this lady was caught in the act of adultery. What do we do next? They want to see if he has a backbone. And Jesus, in his wisdom navigates that space, he affirms that position and he says you are 100% correct that this is how we have to deal with adultery. But the second stanza of adultery is the one that has no son is the first to cast the stone. So I agree with you. So the one that has no son, let him cast the first stone. And immediately all of them vacate the space. What did he do? He showed them his convictions. But when the lady is there, he says, Neither do I judge you." And he shows his compassion. And so immediately you begin to see that there's a synergy between conviction and compassion where he dismisses the crowd and he holds firm his ground as far as adultery is concerned. But at the same time, he extends compassion to the lady. What am I trying to say to you? As a spiritual leader, you are going to have to learn how to navigate the space between conviction and compassion. Because when people in the local church test you, this is what they test when people in the local church test you this is what they test they want to see if you have a backbone and they want to see if you have a heart and when you look at life it's sometimes very difficult for those two to go together because if i'm too strong i'm not compassionate if i'm too compassionate i have no backbone so damned if i do damned if i don't And this creates an unhealthy tension. And this is generally where compromise enters the heart of a leader. And so we begin to negotiate people's destiny by trying to downplay one or the other. And this creates confusion in the church and it creates an unhealthy culture of ambiguity. Where we don't know where we are standing. Where we don't know what direction we are headed. And so it's important that we navigate the space the tension between compassion and conviction and so the asset test for you as a spiritual leader is this area of tension the asset test for you as a leader is this area the tension between conviction and compassion and all your situations will be driven in this particular direction there's not one matter you have to resolve as a leader they don't test both (laughs) <laughs> Come on. He was talking about musicians yeah. earlier. Yeah. Uh, a musician don't do his work. You have to fire him, but if you fire him, you are heartless. Yeah. Uh, it's an area of tension. It's an area of tension. If somebody in church don't deliver, you have to remove them from leadership. But if you remove them, you are inconsiderate towards them. So leadership is a very difficult space to navigate because there's always a tension between conviction and compassion. And this tension can make or break you as a leader. It can make or break the ministry. So, the question then is how do we navigate the space? First thing we have to understand is we have to learn to frame things correctly. Somebody say, frame things correctly.
0: frame things
1: correctly. We have to learn how to frame things correctly. When the enemy seeks to corrupt the church, he frames matters incorrectly. And when the premise is wrong the conclusion and the outcome is always wrong when the premise is wrong the conclusion and the outcome is always wrong we tend to address problems as leaders without framing the problem correctly and so what happens is the outcome and the conclusion is wrong and let me give you context if people come to you they generally come to you with an agenda and their agenda determines or dictates how they frame the issue you have to address And so what we do is we jump into the issue without drawing them out of the issue and framing things correctly. And so when the devil gets ready to set you up, the first thing that he does is he frames things incorrectly. And generally when you sit in counseling sessions, we tend to counsel people out of the matter without first framing the matter correctly. So if the premise is wrong, the conclusion and the outcome is inevitably wrong. And so one of the ways that we begin to navigate the space of... Conviction and compassion is we have to learn how to frame things correctly because a prerequisite for the correct conclusion on a matter, the correct outcome on a matter is framing things correctly. And this is where com- and and if we don't frame it correctly, this is where there's a conflict, and we begin to give birth to unhealthy things in the church, and that becomes the default culture. And so when you look at scripture. One of the things that's important is framing things correctly. Let me give you an example of how we frame things incorrectly. Just hypothetically speaking. So I come to you and I have a political agenda and the agenda is between abortion and women's rights. Hmm. And in order to put you in a corner, this is how I will phrase my question. Are you for women's rights? Hmm. Or are you immoral? One of those type of things. So I'll, sure. I'll put a woman's rights against you not having the moral sense to say don't kill a child. Yeah. Now the point is I'm putting you in a difficult position because I'm creating for you a scenario where there's no alternative to the two things that I've posed. Yeah. You can be for women's rights and be against abortion. Yeah. But if I just pose the question like that, are you for women's rights, then why are you advocating that woman should not abort? Mm. I framed it incorrectly. So in order for you to give me the correct answer, you don't have to to step out of that and frame things correctly. Now, when the enemy seeks to attack you, he frames things incorrectly so that you can give the wrong answer. And when you give the wrong answer, you have no authority on the matter. So one of the things that's key when we begin to deal with things as leaders is we have to step out of things and frame things correctly. Somebody say frame it correctly. Now, when we frame things correctly we then begin to show people that conviction and compassion can coexist they can cohabitate let's go into the scripture quickly to see an example where things were not framed right first Kings chapter 3 16 to 28 it's quite a lengthy reading so I'm gonna rush through it and just show you how wisdom frames things first Kings chapter 3 16 to 28 at that time two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him one woman said please my Lord this woman and I live in the same house And I gave birth while she was in the house. On the third day after I gave birth, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. No one was in the house but the two of us. During night, this woman's son died because she rolled over on him. She got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I was asleep. She laid him in a bosom and put a dead son on my bosom. The next morning when I got up to nurse my son, I discovered he was dead. But when I examined, I realized he was not a son that I had born. She said, no, said the other woman, the loving one is my son and the dead one is your son. But the first woman insisted, the dead one is yours and the loving one is mine. So they argued. Now what are they doing? They are framing a situation. Are you following that? They're framing, they're creating a context. And the king replied, "This woman says my son is alive, yours is dead. That woman says, no, your son is dead, mine is alive. Uh, Then the woman whose son was alive spoke to the king. And the king declared, cut the child in two. Give one after the other then the woman whose son was alive spoke to the king because she yearned with compassion for her son please my lord she said give her the loving baby do not kill him but the other woman said you will neither be mine nor yours cut him in two that's profound they frame a situation for him he steps out of that and he reframes it and they come to a place where he passes correct judgment but at the same time shows compassion to the mother of the child if we are going to bridge the gap between compassion and conviction you will have to learn as a leader to reframe things yeah. hmm. because people generally come to you as a leader with a pre meditated agenda and they drive an outcome that is favorable for them let me tell you something when people come to you with a problem they've already concluded the answer
0: oh, Yes, I'm
1: when people come to you with a problem, they've already concluded the an answer and they will frame it in such a way that your answers are driven in the direction they have predicted. So, if we want to break the tension between conviction and compassion as leaders, we will have to learn to reframe things. Think about it. How many situations could you have judged better if you reframed everything? Just think about it for a minute. But you just went with what I said, you just went with a flow, and you did not reframe it Mm. you did not help him to understand this is not what happened this is what happened and then address that Mm. you you follow that scenario so if we're gonna get to a place where we break the tension between compassion and conviction we have to learn to reframe things somebody say reframe Reframe. and you must become comfortable with reframing things you must become comfortable with saying no that's not what I said that's not what I meant that's not what was implied. This is what was said. This is what was implied. And this is the direction we're going. There must be a level of comfort with that. So as a leader to break that tension, you have to learn to reframe things. Somebody say reframe. The second way that we begin to bridge the gap between compassion and conviction is we have to show the way without suppressing or eliminating options. We have to show the way without suppressing or eliminating options. One of the things that God is extremely good in is showing the way without suppressing options. Now we have a gospel where people have no options. That's not a gospel. The strength of the gospel is in the multiple of options. Because if you choose me and there's no other option, did you really choose me? Think about it. If you choose me without options, then you are choosing me from a place of fear, not from a place of love. God increases the options and then He says, now choose. Because options reveals the heart. But as Christians, what we do is we eliminate the options and then we say to people, choose. <laughs> but if there's no options, I can only choose one thing. You have decided for me. You've decided what I should choose. Do you get me? You have decided what I should choose. So God is extremely good in creating or showing people the way without suppressing the options. And why did God do that? Because it was in bridging the gap between compassion and conviction. Now let's look at the scripture quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15 to 19. Watch this now. As a crazy scripture, he says, Now listen. Today, I'm giving you a choice between life and death. Why would God not remove death from the bill? (laughs) I mean, that's a poor decision. Why would He keep it there? Why would He keep it there? Any logical person will understand you cannot offer people death, but He keeps it on the list. Today, I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep His commands and decrees and regulations by walking in His ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the, and the land you are about to enter. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, you are drawn to serve and worship other gods. Then I want you to know that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long and a good life in the land you are crossing over to the Jordan. Today I've given you choice, and that choice is life and death. Oh, how I desire that you would choose life. But it's your choice.
0: That's
1: profound. That's absolutely profound. Because in his convictions, he's giving them life. But in his compassion, he's giving them options. And so his convictions is, life is better. Choose life. I believe this will work for you. This is the direction you must go. This is where my heart is for you. But then he pauses and it gives them compassion by elevating choice. One of the ways that you bridge the gap between compassion and conviction as a leader is you give people choices. Even though you know what's better, you let them choose. Even though you know this is the best way, you let them choose. Even though you know that this is the direction they should go, you let them choose. You articulate and you communicate why you are saying this is the best, but you leave them to choose because it is the way you bridge the gap between conviction and compassion. Jesus exercised the same thing. John chapter 6, verse 60 to 67. Watch how Jesus operates. When many of the disciples of Jesus heard, thus they said to Him, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in Himself that His disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help. The words I have spoken, they are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those that did not believe and who would betray him. Let me just pause there for a minute. Every pastor knows who does not believe. (laughs) Every leader knows. This one do not believe. He smiles, he claps, he does not believe. Scripture says that Jesus knew from the beginning who did not believe and who would betray In fact, when you tell the pastor you're about to leave the church, he knew that months ahead of time. Let's get back into the text. Verse 65. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. Now watch verse 66. After this, many disciples walked away from Jesus. Look at verse 67. Jesus gives options. Then Jesus turned to the remaining 12 and he said, Do you also want to leave? (laughs) As profound. Because he's standing his ground as far as his convictions are concerned but is compassionate enough to tell them I'm not holding a gun against your head and you see how we bridges the gap between the tension that exists between compassion and conviction if we are going to navigate the space as leaders people must be able to choose people must have options if people want to leave you cannot negotiate them out of it it is their choice even though you know they should not it is their choice even though you know the timing is off it is their choice because if you keep them there, you are not compassionate towards them. And so they must know your conviction, even in experiencing your compassion. You cannot suppress choice. You cannot eliminate options. And any environment that eliminates options is a dangerous environment. Because it becomes cultish in its ways. And we are not birthing a cult. We are burning faith communities where people have the freedom to choose. And I don't care how bad something is, God will always leave the bad option on the table. He tells you you marriage is between a man and a woman, but choose ye day. You you follow me? You follow me? Politically, we'll never oppress people's choices. Never. He says, I want you to marry a woman. That's that's, that's what it is. (laughs) But choose ye day and then live with the consequences. You, You following me? I want you to fight for your marriage. Yeah. I want you to fight for your marriage, but choose ye this day and live with the consequences. Conviction and compassion. Number three, when we begin to break the tension between conviction and compassion, we must understand, we must read a situation before applying our dogma. And this is not compromise, this is wisdom. As leaders we tend to throw the rule book at every situation without reading the situation in its proper context. And this can be dangerous because the situation always dictates the application of the principles. Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah. Now, now let me give you a situation let me give you an example quickly. Let's say I'm a parent. I'm a parent. And let's say my child is struggling to read. Now my beliefs are that he can't read because he's lazy. That's my beliefs. So every day I come down hard on this boy. can't read because you're lazy you can't read because you're lazy my belief is that if he's not lazy he will be able to read finally we consult with a child psychologist or child therapist and the child therapist says your son has a learning disability now what happened my convictions were so strong that it eliminated compassion now even though i believe he should not be lazy I did not apply the rules contextually because it was not applicable in the way I was applying it. Mm. You catch me? That was the problem with us as people. Mm. We are so strong on our convictions that we refuse to read situation.
0: Uh,
1: Mm. Hear me again? Mm. We are so strong on our convictions that we refuse to read situation. Mm. You pass down the robots, you think everybody that's standing at the robots is lazy. You don't, you, don't you don't know you don't know you don't know but it's your convictions you don't know is he a beggar a robot you automatically your belief system is get a job what if he's been looking for a job but your convictions is judgmental your convictions are critical and so you don't extend compassion. You don't understand the context as to why the man is where he is standing. You don't know how he yeah. got there. Yeah. 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 Mm. Sure. You just don't know. And this is one of the reasons why compassion always tries to read the situation in its proper context. Because yeah. people are not the same and the <laughs> Do
0: you
1: catch me? And so for a season in my life, I used to be that guy that says, people just need to get a job, man. (laughs) Until one day I engaged somebody. Until one day I made time to engage somebody. And suddenly I realized that this is actually a very different situation. This man is not lazy. This man is in a situation that got him to this place. The potential to get out of it is real. But I took the time and so my compassion towards him shifted. And instead from being judgmental, I sought now for a way to help him out of that situation. So here's the thing, you have to understand the context of people's situations before you throw the rule book at them. So to come back to the child with a learning disability, my convictions are, if you're not lazy, you will read. But then I make a discovery and I realize my application of my convictions was way off. And I could have healed him through compassion, but I tried to heal him through conviction. Now, now here's what you don't understand. Both compassion and conviction carry within it healing.
0: Mm.
1: There are some people that are healed because of your convictions. And there are some people that are healed because of your compassion. Mm. Mm. The lady that was caught in the act of adultery was healed because of his convictions and his compassion. But you will reach more people with your compassion than your convictions. Because a lot of people don't care what you preach, they care what you do. you think a sinner wants to debate the trinity? you think a sinner wants to debate the end times? Do you think a sinner wants to debate is there still apostles in the church? Do you think a sinner wants to debate is the Holy Spirit still real? you think a sinner wants to discuss the afterlife? They're not about that life. But your compassion can save him. And so when we bridge the gap between compassion and conviction, we rescue more people. And so the lady caught in John chapter 8 in the act of adultery, Jesus rescues her with both. His convictions was, I won't let these people. His convictions was, go and sin no more. His compassion was, I will not stand by passively and let these people stone you. Mm. Mm. She experienced these beliefs, but she also experienced this compassion towards her. And she found healing. We are either strong on the one and weak on the other. And we have to fine-tune it where we understand both. So you have to read situations because situation dictates the application of your convictions. Talk to me somebody. Judge somebody because she's been through many divorces but you don't understand that a woman is struggling with a soul tie and she keeps on choosing the same man. judge somebody because he's losing his business and you don't understand there's a whole lot of things in the back end that contributed towards that you see somebody lose their house and you judge them for carelessness you don't realize there's a whole lot of things playing out in the back and your convictions judge them but you are not compassionate enough to rescue them and so we must learn that we have to understand and assess the situation before we throw the rule book Uh, apostle paul captures it so eloquently in first corinthians chapter 8 and he begins to speak about it but there's a phrase that he uses there and he speaks about weaker brothers Let's read it quickly first corinthians chapter 8 verse 1 to 13. of course he's talking about food sacrifice to idols but i want you to see what he's addressing here how we can rescue somebody by being compassionate and not being so strong in our convictions watch the scripture now about food sacrifice to idols We know that we all possess knowledge. We know, we have a conviction, we have a firm belief. But knowledge puffs puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So then concerning food, sacrifice to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in this world and that there is no God but just one God. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us there is but only one God, the Father, from which all things come, in whom we love. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things come, and we love through Him. Verse 7. He says, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. Not everybody shares in your convictions. Yeah. you following that? Yeah. Some people are still accustomed to idols, that when they eat food, sacrifi- when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are not worse if we eat, we are no better if we do. Be careful, however, that you exercise your rights, your conviction, the exercise of your rights or the exercise of your freedoms or the exercise of your convictions does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died Is destroyed by your knowledge, your convictions (laughs) He's destroyed by your knowledge, he's destroyed by your convictions When you sin against them in this way And wound their weak conscience You sin against Jesus Christ himself But I eat Causes my brother or sister to fall into sin I will not eat it again So that they won't fall It's powerful, it's profound Because he's saying I have strong convictions and strong knowledge on this but here's the danger. My brother has not grown to that level. So for his sake, in his presence, in his company, in my interactions with him, I'll just put a plate, push the plate to, the, to a side. You, you following that? I'll eat that meal tonight, but I won't eat it while he's here. I'm going to have my pork, but I realize this man was just saved from Islam. <laughs> you following it? here's what we do as Christians. So, so, so let me use the example of food. So the Muslim becomes safe. Instead of allowing him to gradually win off the idea that pork is cursed, you now try to teach him why pork is good. I'm, I'm just using the example of the scripture. So what he was saying is, let him run his race, man. He's not damned if he eats it. He's not damned if he does not eat it. Nothing changes as far as his faith and his convictions and his walk with God is concerned. So what he's saying is that, You can save them through compassion, but you're trying to save them through conviction. So you must understand the situation. Even though you have strong beliefs about something, understand the situation. And that helps you with the application of that knowledge. The knowledge is not compromised. It just allows the person to mature until he can handle the knowledge. You you, you see the difference? Because Paul is not saying, change what you believe. Paul is saying, let them mature before you show them your strong beliefs. Are you with me? Very key that we understand this. So situations situations must be read. We must discern the situation before we apply our dogma. And Paul addresses that as the weaker brother, those who are not fully developed in the things of God. They cannot grasp, they cannot know. They cannot understand let them mature and then sell your convictions and finally run through a few things quickly and then we'll close the asset test of your leadership will always be the tension between conviction and compassion and this test will come in three specific areas for you as a leader if you've not experienced it wait for it number one how you handle conflict This will show us your convictions and your compassion how you handle conflict this will show us your convictions and your compassion Mm -hmm. number two the test will come in the area of money and money will show us your convictions and your compassion and people will test you in this area Mm -hmm. Judas tested Jesus when the lady brought the alabaster box to Jesus it's a crazy story because he was testing the convictions of Jesus towards the poor he said, man, this is a lot of money. There's a lot of money. You're not compassionate about the poor. If you were a leader that's compassionate about poor people, you would not allow this woman to do this here today if you were compassionate towards the poor. And what does Jesus do? He reframes it. He reframes it. He reframes it. He says, listen, man, I love the poor. And the benefit that we have with the poor is that we can always serve them. Yeah. Come on. But today we're not serving them. Today yeah. we're serving me.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: and immediately you see the fusion between conviction and compassion. Because in that moment he carries a prophetic conviction that this lady must prepare him for the cross. His conviction is if we must thus, we must that which precedes the cross. So he's going to hold on to that belief. But then he reframes it for Judas yeah. and he says the opportunity to live out your convictions will always present itself. Yeah. Yeah. Don't make today that day. Yeah. Yeah. And we see in that area, in the area where they try to test his convictions on money and his compassion on money. He just numbs Judas. Yeah. He just shuts the party down. He just drops the mic. <laughs> profound, profound, profound moment. Yeah. But what did he do? Our first point, he reframed yeah. everything. Come on. Because if he answered Judas based on how he posed the question, question. he would fail.
0: Yeah.
1: And everybody would judge him as a poor leader. He reframes it, creates the proper context, and he says, I'm compassionate towards the poor, but I'm convicted to receive this offering.
0: Right.
1: Are you hearing me? It's profound. And so in the area of money, people will always test that when people bless you the people will say you're doing nothing for the poor when the church shows you kindness the people will say but you don't consider other families that are struggling in the church it's a test and it's in that moment where you have to preach both conviction and compassion and then the third area is how you handle issues of morality can you show people the right way without coming across as heartless can you show people the right way without coming across as heartless. That's a crazy one. Can I tell you not to live together, but you still see that I love you? Can I tell you, you're an elder in the church, stop being drunk, but still show you I love you? Can I tell you that I'm going to have to sit you down from leadership because you're just not up to scratch, but still show you I love you as a person? And so... You're going to have to constantly demonstrate where you stand morally from a place of conviction and a place of compassion. Can I love a homosexual but not compromise my convictions? And this is the problem sometimes even when it comes to the LGBT agenda. We sell people our convictions without first trying to be a friend. Somebody asked me an interesting question once. Somebody asked me a very weird, interesting question. He says to me, will you be friends with somebody that is a homosexual? So I asked him a question. I said, why does his beliefs dictate our friendship? Simple question. Do I have to know what you believe before I befriend you? Do I have to know what you believe before I befriend you? Friendship is not built on theology. Friendship is never built around theology. Friendship is built around connectivity. And even if we don't believe the same thing, if there's a place where we connect, there is our friendship. Now here's the problem, in church we've trained people to assess people's beliefs before they be friends with them. And here's the thing, sometimes when you lack compassion, God allows the same storm to visit your house to change you. It's easy to judge homosexuals until your son says he wants to marry Tabu. You you, you get what I'm saying? Very easy. It's very easy to be mean. And I'm talking about being mean. Being mean towards somebody that's struggling in that area. Until your son comes home and he says, I want to introduce you to Tabu." But don't worry, Tabu's going to take good care of me. They have trucks. (laughs) (laughs) Here's my point. Here's my point. Can you maintain your convictions and still show compassion? Now, again, I'm just using that for illustration purposes because it's the most popular one. It's the one area where we like to judge. I mean, the church comes down strong on homosexuals, but the next verse says, gluttons too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Bible says gluttons too, isn't that so? The next verse says, it says homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom, gluttons too. Right. Judging homosexual you and your face the less fat on it and crumbs on it. Come on here, man. Let's get back to the text. Let's get back to the text. But my point is, here's the point. I don't want you to miss it. I mean, it's a light-hearted moment. I don't want you to miss it. Can you maintain your convictions that God made us male and female, but love this person as a friend without always turning the gathering into a debate? There's a whole lot of pastors that I don't hang out with anymore because we can't just hang, we have to debate theology. I was just going to chill, but we, we always end up debating theology. That's why people don't like visiting Christians because it's never a visit, it's always a debate. Think about it. You go to a Christian and we sit and we chill, somewhere in there somebody's going to squeeze in a debate. Do you believe in tithing? <laughs> My man, can I just watch the game, man? Can I genuinely just watch the game? And I have a tendency to just, on family gatherings, I go and I play on the grass with the kids, man, I'm tired of it. I'm just genuinely tired of it. Because we need more to drive community. We need more than just that to drive community. And so coming back to the point, can I maintain my convictions and still be compassionate? Because there's some people you save with your convictions. There are others you rescue with your compassion. And sometimes people will say to you, I never believed what you believe, but the way you handled me, man, made me believe that Jesus is real. Your way of loving convinced me that I should change. The love you showed me convinced me that I should change. The kindness you showed me when others were cold towards me showed me that what you believe is real. Somebody shout conviction and compassion. So here are three things you must consider when handling people in ministry. And I'm going to close with this. When handling people in ministry, there's three things you must always consider. Number one, their maturity. Luke 12, 48, much is given, much is required. If you have a massive responsibility, we're going to handle you at that level. If you are still new to this, we're probably going to be a bit soft on you. But if you're here, we're going to speak to you like you're
0: there. You get me?
1: Number two, you must understand that people are handled based on their agenda. Don't be so gullible to think that people never have an agenda. People always have an agenda. Good, bad, and ugly, but people always carry an agenda. Good, bad, or ugly, but people always have an agenda sometimes it's a good agenda sometimes it's a bad agenda sometimes it's an ugly agenda but you handle people on the basis of their agenda as leaders we are so gullible we think people approach us without an agenda you need to wake up people always approach you with an agenda my son is 12 years old he approaches me with an agenda he never asks me something without an agenda he never does something for me without an agenda my daughter is five She'll be six. She shows me kindness because she has an agenda. I mean, there's days where that girl is just so kind towards me. And then before the day is over, Daddy, will you buy me? Uh? There's always an agenda. You handle people on the basis of their agenda. Jesus did that throughout Scripture. Throughout Scripture, he did that. Throughout Scripture, he handled people based on his agenda. The Bible says, and Jesus perceived in his heart what the Pharisees were trying and answer them accordingly. And Jesus knew what their thoughts was, and answer them accordingly. And Jesus understood where they were coming from, and answer them accordingly. And Jesus knew what their intentions was, and left the place swiftly. You handle people on the basis of their agenda. And the powerful thing about an agenda is that it's sometimes on repeat, because the same person carries the same agenda later on in life. And then finally... You handle people based on their position. If you're a leader in the church, we're going to handle you like a leader. Maturity and, and position are two different things. You need to understand that, right? You can be a leader and be immature. Yeah. Yeah. But you handle people based on their position. You're an assistant pastor for crying out loud. We don't have to call you and ask you, where are you? Yeah.
0: Come on. Oh. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You're on the board of elders. We don't have to ask you, where were you? You carry a position with certain responsibilities. I can ask somebody that barely got saved the other week. Where are you? But you've been in this game long. We have to handle you accordingly. And this is why as leaders, stop asking people that's been in the game so long where they are. They're revealing their agenda. They're simply revealing their agenda. You get what I'm saying? So you handle people based on their position. And that way you will never fail the test of Conviction and compassion. God bless you. Thank you. Yeah. So, so what we'll do, I, I, know, I know you have a schedule, but let me handle a few questions. If there are questions in relation to what I'm teaching. Don't ask me about the end times, I don't know. <laughs> Man of God, please. Can we get a microphone to the servant of God? We so, oh, you can, oh, it's a 10 pre pre-return. Okay. Pastor, right. thank you. Yes, sir.
2: has its premise, there's its foundation, and it's based on the word of God. Yes, sir. And then we overpower the word of God to prove our conviction to those whom we serve. Yeah. Compassion is also embedded in the word of God, but it cannot be manifested unless it's actually. Yeah. The problem that we have as men of God is that there's no seminary or Bible study.
1: You need to register for a Telugu School of Ministry. We actually do teach these things. Eh? <laughs> make sure you register for a Telugu School of Ministry. I promise, you we have the content there. <laughs> the problem is with Bible schools;
2: they don't teach the holistic ministry of the pastor. Hmm. And I think there's a lack of, in terms of men of God in certain classes of the of ministry. That's true.
1: but also because we take worldly examples and we try and bring that into the church. And what a lot of people don't understand is the church is not built against a secular model. Daniel's vision was that I saw a kingdom crushing all the kingdoms of this world because it does not find its orientation in the earth. It finds its orientation in God, so you are spot on with what you are saying. And, and, and here's the thing when we become overzealous with our conviction we are no longer in the righteousness of Christ we are in self-righteousness and and there's a very thin line between the two I've noticed people that are very very strong on what they believe they're not selling the righteousness of Christ they're selling their own righteousness and we are in Jesus Christ we sell his righteousness I got here by his grace not by my works I got here because He loved me. I got here because He saved me. I didn't get here because I'm a good man. I've worked out all my life. I've done all... No, no, no. I didn't qualify the grace or the position. He qualified it. So you're 100% correct. And I think to, to just summarize what you are saying is that we're going to have to change the narrative. We will have to change the conversations. And you're right on the money, man. Thank you so much for that that commentary. Sorry? Absolutely, man. That, that was an excellent contribution. Thank you so much, man of God. One more, two more. Don't think out something if you don't have a question. (laughs) Well, man, let's put our hands together as the servant of God comes. Come on. Amen.
0: That was good, wasn't it? Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor B, Pastor Uh, Madeline. Uh, We appreciate you and love you. Thank you for pouring out into our lives this morning. Uh, I'm going to ask that we just. Okay, I'll leave this to Fallon to sort out, she has it, she's sorting it out. She's <laughs> 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 sorting it out, Fallon will sort it out. But they need to come up and like, uh, see now. Okay. <laughs> 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 okay. This is a small token from us. Oh, thank you thank so much. much. Some chocolates here. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for chocolates. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, pal. Um, is it fine that we break just for um, 10 minutes? Is that fine? Yeah. 10 minutes? Is that okay? Yeah. Is that okay, family? Yeah. You promise that when I call you back, I'll play a siren. You'll make your way back to, the, to your seats. And then I'll introduce our second speaker. Amen. Okay, you may make your way to the table. Thank you.